Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence. Through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. One of the places that I often encourage people to start, because all of the really, all the things that you just mentioned are things that actually didn't start from the very beginning of our lives, right? If many, if we didn't get married, maybe you got married in your twenties, your thirties, your forties, but you were somebody before all of that, right? And you were somebody even before you went to high school, and you were somebody even before you played on the soccer team, and you were somebody. So, what I, you know find helpful as a place to start is go back to your earliest memories of self and say, you know, who was I? Like I was playful or I was that one who loved to take risks and would jump from the tops of, you know, pieces of furniture. Who, what, how do I know who I was? And turn the clock back to the very earliest of times and start to look at what comes back in that reflection. Because those start to help us enter into that inquiry of who am I? Embarking on the journey into the next chapter of your life after divorce is often met with a mixture of excitement and fear. Everything is affected. Transitioning home and career, managing your finances, parenting as a single mom or dad, and managing the emotions around step-parents in your children's lives. The world of online dating, reconnecting with who you want to be in this new chapter of life, and finding your passion, purpose, sensuality, sexuality, and so much more. Tune in as we speak to the experts in every area of post-divorce life and support you to enter and navigate it as an adventure with a growth mindset and a heart of possibility. Welcome to today's episode of Mastering the Practices of Curiosity and Surrender with my special guest, Adina Tobel. As you enter and settle into your life after divorce, Adina invites you to consider where your thoughts take you each day. Do you live in fear and judgment or do you slip into curiosity and inquiry? We examine the limits of one and expansiveness of the other and share specific strategies and questions so you can begin the practice of curiosity in all your affairs. Along with curiosity comes surrender. Adina and I discuss what surrender is and is not and how practicing it opens you 
to possibility. We invite you to notice that when you're suffering, you're most likely white-knuckling an outcome you desire. And we explore the powerful changes that occur when you put in the effort and then truly surrender the outcome. The practice of surrender provokes a trust or belief that what unfolds is always happening for us, not to us. Adina Tovell is a life and leadership coach, podcast host, and internationally recognized curiosity advocate. Through almost three decades of working with people, Adina has discovered the power of curiosity to heal, catalyze growth, and achieve sustainable levels of happiness and contentment. She's the CEO of Courage to be Curious, host of Courage to be Curious with Adina Tovell podcast, and creator of the Live, Lead, and Love with Courage to be Curious card decks. I am very excited about today's conversation. Welcome, Adina. Karen, it is so great to be here. Thank you. Adina, today's conversation is, uh, I'm very excited about it. We're in this entire section of our Life After Divorce series where we're talking about healthy living, uh, mindfulness. Um, and today, uh, you and I are really going to chat it up about curiosity and surrender, which, in my opinion, are so central to being able to uh, live life on life's terms. And, you know, of course, courage to be curious is, is part of your brand and what you talk about. And our listeners either newly emerged from divorce or at the tail end listening to this uh, are stepping out of uh, a lot of um, uncertainty and fear, but maybe into uncertainty and fear in new ways. And so let's talk a little bit about um, what what does curiosity and surrender call us into and what are some of the obstacles that we face in getting there? I think it's a great place to start. It is a great place to start. And just for a minute of context for people who are listening, is that I, I do want people to know that um, I have I am divorced, right? I did go through this process. Um, I was married for 16 years. And not only did I divorce, but I came out at the same time, leaving a marriage to my husband and informing him and my kids that I wanted to be with another, with a woman instead of a man. And as in terms of who my life partner would ultimately end up, not a specific person, but a, a life choice. And so in terms of traveling the shoes of walking through periods of uncertainty and leaving everything that was known and unfamiliar, going into a path that put all of us in that place and then continuing to travel that journey. I think it's important to just lay that context that I have been in those shoes. I have walked that path and in a sense, continue to walk that path every day because life continues to present those things. And so, you know, coming back to your question about the relationship between curiosity and surrender, and if I miss pieces of what you want to get at, I know you'll follow up with another question. Curiosity to me, you know, in its most basic definition is the desire to seek to understand something. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we can think of that at one level. Okay. I don't know how many stars there are in the sky. So let me find out. And today we don't even have to look at encyclopedias, right? We just asked Siri <laughs> and Siri tells us. <laughs> so we all often don't have to linger in our curiosity about facts very much anymore at all. Yet life presents us with all kinds of things we can't just Google and we can't just ask Siri about. And so it calls us into this space of what does it actually mean to live in a space of deep desire to know and understand something? How deeply can I enter into that space of desiring to fully understand the experience I'm in, how it is I can navigate here, what choices I have. What's the reason? I like to ask this question, like what's the reason that these set of things have landed themselves on the game board of my life, mm -hmm. right? Because the circumstances are here. My personal belief is that things land here in order to help us grow and teach us things and maybe not in measure, right? You know, but I often find in my life that if I don't learn it the first 15 times in smaller ways that the universe gave me an opportunity to lower, learn it, it will land me some bigger opportunity. <laughs> so that the curiosity, you know, it calls us into this place of stepping out of just the activity of our life, the day-to-day -day unfoldings, the shopping and the arguments or the going places and things like that into another realm where we get genuinely curious about, you know, where am I in my life? What is my life here? What is my life showing me and presenting to me? And, you know, you put curiosity and surrender together in the same question, and I feel like they are related because for me, part of that curiosity is my surrendering to the fact that there is something much greater and beyond myself, meaning my daily activities and my daily comings and goings, that is at work in the world, that there's universal energy and that sometimes what I am surrendering to is my not fully being able to know now, but that if I can keep traveling and journeying aligned with certain truths, that I will continue to come to understand more. Mm. And for me, I mean, that was a big question and a big answer of those relationships between curiosity and surrender just to get us started. Yeah, I, I, I love what you said about curiosity. And, and the interesting thing is I'm listening to you. I'm always thinking about the the um the state of our listeners and the level of chaos that might be coming along with any one of these stages. And so part when you describe curiosity as slowing down and really wanting to understand that slowing down part, how do you do that? Right. And, and what is happening when you're not curious? And I think that that's a really cool thing for us to take a look at it. A lot of what we talk about is to stop and notice your judgment. I can't believe this is happening. The court is taking too long. I didn't get the custody I wanted to. This is never going to work out. I'm always going to be lonely. Like all of this judgment that we have like this, when we don't know, we often fill it with like the worst case scenario, which we, you and I talked about offline is in what, what is there before curiosity uh, is often fear and judgment. 
and and the fear comes out in such a judgmental way. It's all of this negative stuff. And and so I think I'd love to talk about that piece first, because that slowing it down requires us to know where we're going other than curious and why that may not be our best path. Karen, you said so much in there, which is wonderful. And one of the things that I want to put in here is I often talk about the fact that curiosity and judgment can't live in the same space. Curiosity and fear can't live in the same space. There's a lot of reasons, and I think you probably have had other podcasters and articles written about why we gravitate toward fear, right? And our primal selves and why fear is so seductive. So I won't go into that in depth. I'll just mention a little bit. But our daily lives are filled with things that invite us and almost entice us into fear. Our media has been designed that way. Sales and marketing is designed that way, make you not good enough in some way or fearful in some way. And you're much more likely to buy, to listen. And of course, fear has been tied to our most primal survival instinct. So there's a lot of things that call us into fear. And, you know, for a lot of my life, fear has not been as dominant for me as judgment has, but the curiosity works as an antidote really well to both of them. But I had did find my life in those judgments. This isn't going to work out. Why is this happening to me? Comparing myself to others and those things. And it has a really wearing effect emotionally and physically and relationally to other people to be in a constant state of that. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, um, the time of year we're, we're thinking about having this is we're coming up on the Jewish holidays. And one of them is Yom Kippur, this um, holiday of atonement and where you repent and you ask for forgiveness for your sins. One of the longest list of sins in that is actually the sins of speech, how you harm others with speech. And the ones that always stood out to me were the ones that are about judging others. And I was like, every single year, how could it be that I'm like, you know, in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, like, and I'm still repenting for the same thing. And it doesn't appear to be getting any better, right? All this repenting isn't getting me anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, an interesting thing happened though, that as I really immersed in this practice of curiosity and devotion to it, that's when the judgment started to drop off. That's when fears started to diminish. So the one thing is like they can't live in the same place. So if we find ourselves overwhelmed by fear, overwhelmed by judgment, overwhelmed by devastating thoughts, this is never going to work out. This is going to land me in the worst possible place. All of these horrible things are going to happen. That will become seductive. It will draw us in. Curiosity is a beautiful antidote. It takes practice like anything else, but it's a beautiful antidote. You use the word chaos in the beginning, and it's interesting that we should be talking about this. And we were talking offline a little bit about how I've just come off of a couple of weeks where there was a lot of chaos that was entering into my personal life, too. Not of my own making this time, but the external world was just putting it into my path. And I'm going to zoom out and then zoom back in. But if I zoom out from where I stand now, 
I feel like one of the reasons chaos was in my path these last couple of weeks is because I had actually gotten a little bit lazy in my devotions to curiosity, into pausing, into stepping back. You know, my life has had a lot of transition recently. And in transitions, we tend to just stay really busy, check the things off the list, try to get to the next thing. And I actually wrote about this this morning, Karen, is that when we feel that chaos, we tend to be looking for something solid, right? We want something solid to stand on. So we say, if this one thing could happen, if I can get this one thing in place, if I can orchestrate this one happening, then I'll feel better. That's actually an illusion and it doesn't actually happen. So if you've been playing this game a long time, you might notice that when that one thing happens, you then just jump to the next thing and wish need that thing to happen. So <laughs> I have found that there is never really an end to that game. So I've stopped playing it. What I have found though, is that when I pause and when I sit down and I start getting curious in a more expansive way, the groundedness, the steadiness comes from a devotion to that practice rather than this thing outside of ourselves. And this groundedness comes to a devotion to that my life and my experience is bigger than this singular event that is occurring right now in front of me. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I love that concept that curiosity if you replace your judgment or fear with curiosity, you're in the unknown, and yet it's a practice that can still ground you while in the unknown. Because I think that for all of us, I think human nature is uh, we don't we don't like change. I worked for a social change organization, and whenever we had to do internal change, everyone like got twisted. It's this whole interesting thing. Change is hard, and it's because of the lack of grounding. And what I hear you saying is one: um, fear and judgment can really suck our energy. The practice of curiosity. And, and I love the concept. We talk about the practice of acceptance, the practice of non-judgment, the practice of curiosity. If you could be grounded in inquiry, in letting go of what you think is wrong with the situation or the person and come to this place, which you're talking about, which is instead of why is this happening, you ask what's in this for me? which is what I think your question was getting to, like, okay, God, universe, why have you brought this to my table? What do you have for me in this? All of a sudden, it becomes so much less about whatever that noisy circumstance or person is, and more about your journey, and less about, and this is a key thing for me, is asking the question is always more powerful um, the answer will come when it's supposed to come. But that asking of the question, that practice of curiosity is really a shift for a lot of people. It is a shift. And, you know, two things from what you just said. I love this I think, beautiful ping pong match of being able to build on what each other is saying. That this practice of curiosity and trusting that there is some greater reason why something might be in my path or getting curious about it why this might be showing up, how else I might be managing. I want to just put out there that 
taking that approach is not dependent upon having a spiritual or religious belief in a higher power. Right. You know, some people may and their inquiry in terms of why is this here? Why has this been placed might have at its roots? I believe in a universal energy or I believe in God or mystery, but it doesn't have to be for me. Very often, while I do believe in a greater mystery, the devotion is to asking the question because I can ask a narrow question like, oh, my gosh, why is this happening to me? Or I can ask a question what opportunities do I have to see things in new ways here? And we can just ask ourselves, which of these is serving me better? Which is serving my relationships better? Which is serving my health and well-being better? So I really just want to underscore, it does not require that we have a belief in something greater to ask a more expansive question. The reason to ask the more expansive question is because we have freedom of choice. We have free will and we can choose to ask questions that take us into narrow places and where fear and judgment live abundant, like a great abundant life. Or we can choose to ask a question that expands things and takes us into a place where we feel more empowered, more inspired, more encouraged, perhaps a little bit safer and more open to relationship. And so which do we choose? Right. right. And, and I think that when when I talk to my clients about curiosity and certain curiosity versus versus judgment, uh, one opens us, one invites us into learning what we don't know, right? So there's what we know we know, there's what we know we don't know. And then there's the huge universe of what we don't know we don't know yet. And curiosity invites us into all that we don't know. And so for me, even when I catch myself in a moment of uh, struggle and maybe judgment or fear, and when I shift it, it's it's like the skies open up. It's all of a sudden there is so much possibility in whatever that circumstance is to learn and grow. Whereas when I stick with fear of judgment, it's like I'm in a box and that's it. That's my box. I know what I know. He's wrong. It's bad. And and I'm stuck in this very small space. And so I love the idea of the practice of curiosity and the expansiveness, both head and heart of curiosity. And to your point, it doesn't have to be spirit. And yet it could be all it's whatever you it's wherever you are and whatever you need it to be. Curiosity is still a path to uh, expanding um, what you know. It is. And I've used the word a couple of times, Karen, of making it a practice, which might be a new term for people. And I just want to explain what I mean by that. You know, we may have all different kinds of practices and a practice meaning something that we build regularly into our lives because we believe it has benefit for us. So we may have a practice of exercising regularly. We may have a practice of prayer. We may have a practice that is taking our morning walk. And maybe if we have a dog, the dog keeps us aligned to our practice because they force us onto the morning walk and things like that. But something that we do regularly it becomes a habit and it also becomes a devotion. That thing that without it, 
I start to feel a little off. Your practice might even be the morning coffee. My partner loves morning coffee and bird watching, right? That's her practice. I mean, it's not just a habit. It's actually a devotion and something that, you know, keeps her feeling grounded. So when I talk about curiosity as a practice, it's something that we build in regularly to our lives, that it's something we cultivate so that it is available to us. You know, you've been talking with people about mindfulness. And when we talk about mindfulness as a practice, it's not because and many people will try to meditate or try mindfulness and then tell me, oh, it doesn't work because I can't clear my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I often have to encourage them by saying, it's not, you're not failing if it's not clear. The practice is the mind stays busy. The practice is to keep returning and the mind will always get busy. And the practice is to sit and to practice returning and see what happens over time. So practice just as in sports, if we were on the soccer team or the tennis team is something that happens regularly with a devotion, you know, a commitment to it when we feel like it. And even when we don't feel like it, right. because we know that something will grow from that. And sometimes using the sports analogy is really helpful. You know, we think about, we go to practice, whether we feel it on some days or we don't feel it on some days, because ultimately practice over time will create a proficiency and also will mean that when I am in that match, if we're playing tennis, I will be able to access what I need, even in the hardest moments when some, you know, the ball's being lobbed at me a certain way. If I've practiced that backhand again and again and again and again, it's going to be available to me in the right moment. And that's the reason why we practice because we don't sit for mindfulness or meditation or get curious only when things are hard because our practice will be too weak to support it. We practice regularly because we want it to be available in all the moments of our lives. And that's when it performs best in the air at times when we're struggling. And one of the ways for me, I mean, I practice curiosity as a devotion in lots of ways. Well, one of them is actually in my journal is virtually every single one of my journal entries includes either a question that is my inquiry at the top, or it will cycle into questions. And so when I journal, it's not a, a recounting of things or even just an expression of my inner world, but it is where I practice my inquiry. Oh, I love that. So, so your journal is kind of being curious about whatever happened or is unfolding or what have you. And so you're coming at it really with inquiry as opposed to just um, uh, writing the narrative down. Many people have actually told me that they get frustrated with journaling or I don't understand the journaling or I don't think I'm doing it right yet. It's right. promoted as a really powerful practice out there. Right. So we talk and people say, well, I feel like I should be right, but nothing is happening or I'm not sure I'm doing it right. And I think the reason that comes up and I had that experience too, that somehow or another recounting either my negative feelings or my judgments or my occurrences of my day didn't necessarily feel like it was doing anything. And if everyone loves this journaling thing so much, like, what is this really? Like, I've just sat down and put down my 25 biggest complaints about my day. How's that, you know, <laughs> what's the earth shattering thing that is occurring from that, you know? Right. And so for me, then it was shifting 
to this is my space for inquiry because I wanted my practice of journaling to be something that did move me forward. And it moved me into deeper relationship with myself, deeper relationship, more meaningful relationship with my life. And I just want to I'd love for you and I to share a couple of examples at this point, because we're, we're talking very theoretically. And so I have a bunch that come to mind just of my own life. So I, I'm going to throw one out and then I'm going to um, invite you to do the same. So I remember after my divorce and my listeners know that my divorce was three and a half years. It was uber high conflict. Um, and. I began learning, you know, a lot of practices and about my codependence and my boundaries. I landed in a new home and my son, um, who just really had a hard time through the, through the divorce, was really angry. I mean, he threw scissors across the room. He threatened to smash my laptop on the floor. At one point, he took a bat and he started um, beating the vinyl siding of this home that I was renting. And so when I was able to shift from this like frustrated, like wanting to kill this kid to, okay, what's going on? Why am I once again, with this very angry person dealing with uh, my stuff being damaged. And what was became crystal clear to me was I had practices that I had begun like boundaries, uh, but that I needed to take to another level. And so my son's behavior became less about his quote unquote bad behavior and more about my practice of finding my voice, of setting boundaries, of being able to do it with love, because now I'm setting boundaries with someone I love so dearly, as opposed to someone who I really wanted to get away from. And that shift to curiosity ended up being a shift in every way that I then navigated this young boy's behavior in a way to strengthen our relationship and grow these the skills that were pretty new for me. So that's my, I have another example, but I'm going to toss it to you. Well, we might go back and forth a few times because yes, you inspired the thinking of many of examples. Um, because I think so many people are so concerned about their children, I'm going to throw out one about uh, my daughter as well. A little bit of a different scenario. But I remember that my daughter, my oldest daughter, and this was you know very shortly after we separated, I was in a different house and kids were starting to go back and forth. And my daughter always had a habit, a practice of just interrogating. It almost sounded like interrogating, right? She would ask questions, but not the kinds of what seemed to me to be openly curious questions, more the questions like, well, where are you going and who are you talking to? And why are you talking about that? And what are you doing? Like the kinds of things a parent might be asking a child in a traditional context, except she was always asking them of me. The problem for me what, and I would get angry and I would shut her down and I would say, stop it. And I would, you know, do all these things. Sometimes I would send her out of the room and it was really intrusive in our relationship. I mean, I think like with your son, I mean, it wasn't the same magnitude of anger, but it was creating this total wedge in our relationship because she was going at this and I was shutting her down. 
And I remember one day calling up my friend and I was so exasperated with something. And I said, all right, right now I am like eight years old on the playground being interrogated by kids. And, you know, which actually happened to me. And I have no idea how to be a parent in this moment. Can you please tell me what a parent who's like 43 years old is supposed to be doing here? (laughs) And, you know, so she helped me in that moment. But then it led me to that deeper question of, what is this activating in me that needs to shift in order for us to have a healthier relationship? And I realized that this wasn't about her. This was something was occurring in her behavior that was shrinking me down to a childlike, very familiar state. And I hadn't grown up past it. And so I had no adult way and healthy way to respond to the situation. And it was amazing because once I did the inquiry, probably worked with my therapist on it, you know, and kept inquiring around it, I understood that it was triggering this childhood trauma of me. And I also understood, I learned to understand actually her questions. I may be interpreting her questions very inaccurately as judgments of myself. And what I came to realize is that my daughter is a data gatherer. And she's not actually judging all these things. She's making sense of her world, almost like a small child would feel and touch and stick things in their mouth to figure it out. This is how she made sense of her world. And I was shutting her down because I was so afraid of being this inquisition that I was getting or feeling like I was getting. And once I understood my own reaction and then could see the situation in a new new light, I began to really honor this in her, began and now to support her. This is one of your greatest strengths as a human, but how do you use it in an effective way? And this very aspect of relationship has brought us closer together rather than further apart. Oh, I love that. And I think in both of those examples, uh, like with me and my son, it changed the dynamic. It enabled me to see what he needed and see what I needed. And, and so again, through curiosity, you guys both grew, it grew your relationship and it did the same thing for ours. And I think that in general, um, if you're listening, you know, whatever you're struggling with and wherever you're finding yourself criticizing a person in your life or judging them or being in that fear, uh, I I really want to invite you into replacing it with curiosity. And I want to give another example, a very different one. And and then I'm hoping, uh, Adina, that you might share a couple of other practices of curiosity before we shift over to surrender. Um, And so this... um, This year has been really interesting for me. Many of you know, I I packed up and I left New York and and I sold all of my belongings and only went down to Florida to help with my mom with what would fit into my CRV. So I pull into my new home with like seven boxes and two pieces of luggage. And I think, what in God's name did I do? Um, And then I spent the next three or four months slowly purchasing things and creating a home. And then two months later, I had to pack up and come to New York to be with my mom for the summer. And I'm again, living in... Um, an empty apartment for another four months. And so 
the curiosity, like it's part of me gets very frustrated. I'm living, I feel like I've been living out of a, a luggage for a year. And the other part is kind of like, okay, 20, 2021 is like the year of the minimalist for me. It's like I'm I'm living with, and if you're looking at the video, I'm living with empty walls and uh, very little furniture. And, and so this whole process, what is it doing for me to have left everything, to have built a home only to leave it, to be in an empty space again. And, and it's, it's really valuable for me to start noticing, you know, where do I find value? What's valuable to me? And, and if there isn't a lot of material stuff around, then what becomes valuable to me? And so it's been a very interesting stretching and growing of who I am. And at the same time, I'm taking care of my um, my mom and that has its own challenges. And so that being laid on top of it and what's in that for me, um, has just really enabled me every day to enter and look at my day and my reactions and my needs very differently. And I, in a, in a way that I feel my, I feel like I'm in a growth spurt and I'm growing. Um, and that's what the universe is giving me. God is giving me this growth spurt to stretch in ways that are very different. You and I must be running somewhat parallel lives and I won't go into the full story because I've been doing that too. I just got rid of my home six months ago, packed up and moved across the state only to find myself now going in my car with a small amount of things, my mother's <laughs> extended living and living with her at, in periods to take care of her in a one room little space. That's so <laughs> you know funny. I, I did <laughs> not know that. <laughs> you and I are living parallel spaces. <laughs> So if you're out there listening, you're not the only one. <laughs> we have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. One of the things you asked me was, could I share more practices about getting curious and how do we do that? And so one of them we've talked about a little bit is journaling. And I just want to offer these 
three questions. And this time of year, for me, it's the Jewish New Year. It's where I really more sink into that this is kind of a new beginning. I was also a teacher and educator for a lot of years. So September feels much more like the beginning of a year than January does for me. And I always find, and maybe it was because I was asked about 10 years ago to give this at a big talk at a synagogue, but I always come back to these three questions that actually one of the coaches who was in my IPEC coaching program class brought to the table and they've stuck with me for these 10 years. And she brought forward these three questions. Who am I? Where am I? And what must I do next to stay true to me? And I love this inquiry. And whenever I do get into this chaotic place or feel ungrounded, these become my anchors because there's always an answer to that. And in fact, this I was even writing about them this morning, which is why they're top of mind. I've been thinking about them a lot recently because of the time of year I'm in. And you know, I, if I'm not my home, right. If I'm not my things around me, as you've just described, right. If I'm not my relationship, if I am not my marriage that I had, if I am not even my children who will eventually leave and go off and do their things, who am I? Right. And it's a really powerful question to come back down to sometimes a little bit scary if we've not delved into it, or if we are in the period of life of associating ourselves with our experience to be able to understand who am I or even explore that. Yeah. And I just want to slow that down a second, because that on, on our um, in our Facebook community, I can't tell you how often um, people who've been married for decades. Right. And I, I, I am the husband and the father. I am, I am the wife and, 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 and the home and, and the caretaker and this, this assaulting fear-based, like you've just ripped my life away from me. And I, and so that's such a powerful question for those of you who, who are talking about two, three, four decades of, of marriage. And now it's like, okay, the kids are grown and, and the marriage is dissolved and, and that fear of not being able to find your footing. And I'm wondering if someone were to say to you, Adina, like, I just have no idea how to answer that question. Like, can you give us a little bit more that they might inquire to start figuring that out? One of the places that I often encourage people to start, because all of the really, all the things that you just mentioned are things that actually didn't start from the very beginning of our lives, right? If many, if we didn't get married, maybe you got married in your twenties, your thirties, your forties, but you were somebody before all of that, right? And you were somebody even before you went to high school, and you were somebody even before you played on the soccer team, and you were somebody. So, what I, you know, find helpful as a place to start is go back to your earliest memories of self and say you know, who was I? Like I was playful or I was that one who loved to take risks and would jump from the tops of, you know, pieces of furniture. Who, what, how do I know who I was? And turn the clock back to the very earliest of times and start to look at what comes back in that reflection. Because those start to help us enter into that inquiry of who am I? 
I love that. I love that. What did I enjoy? What did I do? What was unique about me? All of, I love that. That's perfect. So, so the first one is who am I? Explain the where am I? So the question of where am I is life. We say it a lot and you have journey beyond divorce, right? We talk about life as a journey. So every journey, right, whether you've taken a vacation, a cross-country road trip, every stop along the way and every point of the journey is different, right? There's something new. Maybe some part of the car ride, everybody was happy and singing, and then everybody started fighting. <laughs> you know, maybe one time everything was going right, and in the next leg, the car broke down and you ran out of gas and all these things. So a journey will have many different ebbs and flows, just like the ocean will have ebbs and flows. And so if we remember the journey part. The where am I is where am I in the context of my journey right now? And I find this to be a powerful question for a few reasons is one is it does help us to be discerning about what the current experience is. Even more importantly, however, it places it in that much larger context because we can become swallowed up in the fact that the current moment is all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will yes. be. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God, I love that. Like it's not temporary when it's so temporary. Right. And so I always thought, I remember when I was in college and it would be finals time. I don't know if anyone else had this experience, but I found it to be a somewhat stressful time, right? In a one week period, you're suddenly going to have finals or major papers doing all of your courses. And I would have to ground myself and say, this is like going on a roller coaster. I found them to be a little scary, but also thrilling. And I said, you know, you're going to get on, the ride is going to go, you might feel sick to your stomach, whatever, but it's going to end. And there's actually like, you know, an ending point, you're going to get off that roller coaster. This final session is going to end. And whatever period we are in of our lives is going to pass. It is going to come to an end and it is going to mean Everything in nature tells us to be this to be true. The seasons keep changing. The water, you know, the ocean keeps coming in and then going out. Every single indicator is out there that what we are in will pass. And so by asking, where am I? We recognize it brings us to the recognition that we are at one point on that much wider journey. Let's we can explore and understand where we are. And then we can also know that it will keep transitioning. And through our inquiry, we may be able to just kind of guide ourselves into what we might want to, you know, come next to bring forth or to at least put energy toward for right. the next part of the journey, right. right? When I think about vacations, we plan things. It's not always going to work out according to our plan, but even the planning helps us to kind of envision that there is something that is possible. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And then... What must I do next to stay true to myself? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so, you know, with this, what must I do next to stay true to me? And this reminds us to come back that as much as we love and are, you know, devoted, let's say to our children or our pets or our family members and friends, our first devotion always needs to be to ourselves. You know, it's the oxygen mask on the airplane. Put it on yourself first before anyone else. It's this sense of we can't be of service anywhere to anyone. And we can't show up to be in relationship to, with anyone else in a 
genuinely loving way, if we haven't cared for ourselves first, you know, a mother, you know, I, I, we have deer on the property where I live now, you know, and actually they're not suckling animals. So I'll go like to something, you know, to something else that's more of a suckling animal. But if I'm a dog, let's say a stray dog, and I have all these pups, if the mother isn't fed, the pups can't be fed either. We see this every place in nature. And so again, let us remember we are creatures of nature and we work the same way. And sometimes we busy ourselves with I have to use the should, supposed to use what people expect of me, you know, what it seems I need to take care of all of these things. And we put ourselves continuously at the bottom of the list. And many of you might resonate with the fact that when do you ever get to be at the top of the list? And my answer is when you place yourself there. And the being true to me says, if there's one thing that I need to do to stay true to me right now, true to my spirit true to what really genuinely is most important to me, which is why I do a lot of core values work with people, is what is that? And it will change from time to time. It may not be the same answer, but in this moment, what is true for me? And and I think especially with this series, with this stage of your life, we talk a lot about your best next chapter. And for those who have uh, dedicated years, decades to building a home, raising your children, we all know we give up a tremendous amount to do that, which there's always balance. Uh, Many of our listeners, many of our clients are more out of balance where they've given up everything. And so finding your way back to your center and and finding your way back to what is staying true to myself mean, right? So that who am I and, and then where am I contextually? And then, gosh, what would, what would staying true to myself mean in this next step that I'm taking in this next chapter that I'm building? I think that that's just a brilliant practice for our listeners to write those three questions down and to to journal and and process and talk to your friends and really develop some understanding of yourself and what you desire so that you can move toward it. And, And in that practice, notice that expansiveness, that opening that we've talked about, that 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 freedom that comes with letting go of the fear and judgment and, and really honing in on you. And one thing, you know, there's a story and then I want to get to two other quick practices to share or one, however many we say we have time for. But um, Elizabeth Gilbert in her book called Big Magic, which I sort of think is like the Bible for living a creative life. But I would just say living if you want to call it that. And, you know, she was talking about a a story of a friend of hers who was just feeling very lost, just disconnected from herself and her life. And the question, you know, that she posed to herself actually in her own self-inquiry was, when was the last time that I felt joyful? And what arose for her is as a kid, she had been an ice skater, but she was not going to be good enough to really go into competition. And like many of us, when we discover that, she stopped. But when she asked herself the question, when was the last time I felt joyful? It was when she was spinning around on the ice skating rink and the stories in the book. And at 40, she decided to get back on the rink 
not because she was going to become an Olympian or because, you know, all of those other things, but because it felt joyful. And I think that when we've been taking care of people for so long, we've been asking, what do they need? What makes them feel happy? What could make them feel comfortable or good? And it can be a little daunting to ask that question. Even, you know, when was the last time I ever felt joyful? Because we might even get afraid of the fact that we don't have an answer to it. And what I would say is stay with the question. I experienced that. I I had this question around happiness and I had no idea what it was. So I just kept asking it again and again and again. And eventually my inner workings that did at one point have a sense of that started to be like, oh, you really want to know? You really want to, oh, you're really interested? You really care? Oh, okay. Well, we'll start feeding you some responses. But the first 20 times they might've been like, I don't really think so. You're just much more interested in other things. You don't really care. So I just said, I'm going to stay persistent with that question because I believed that my persistence with it would eventually reveal an answer. I love that. That's perfect. And and that joyful piece is so important because we're doing a whole section on play and it's like, it's like getting out of the business of just doing and, and finding your, your playful, more innocent um, self, which is great. So Dina, what's that last tip you have on curiosity? So one last tip that I have on curiosity, and if you want to go in more depth, actually, I'm sure we'll talk at the end, but I just have a podcast that was just all about this, but I invite people to think about reality and expectation and the gap between reality and expectation is suffering the gap between our reality and our expectations is our suffering and so sometimes we're in a position where we can say can i shift my reality and if we can get curious and if we can shift our reality in some way then beautiful, we can close the gap between reality and expectation and reduce or eliminate our suffering. And then there are circumstances, and in divorce, it comes up all the time, right, where we can't shift the reality in that moment or for whatever reason. In those situations, the only way to eliminate or reduce our suffering is to shift our expectation. And what I want to encourage here is that the curiosity is about both of those things and not to get so stuck in like, oh, you know, that it's defeatist to change our expectation because changing your expectation doesn't necessarily mean lowering it. It means altering it. And that's where the curiosity comes in. What is another version of my expectations that would be more aligned with the current reality? And because the purpose is to reduce my suffering, it is the opposite of our getting caught in the trap of control. And this is where curiosity plays an enormous role for us. I love that. I love that. And it really does. Again, instead of being stuck in the box of suffering, you you have this expansive. You can go shopping for a perspective and expectation that fits better. So there's so much on curiosity. I know we could go on about that. I want to just shift uh, a little bit um, to this practice of surrender. Uh, and we talk about the two of them going 
hand in hand, but before we connect them, uh, a lot of people see surrender as like waving a right white flag and giving up. And so I'm curious, what is your uh, description or explanation of surrender? So for me, surrender is about releasing the situation into, you know, I would say higher power or into another universe. And when I say releasing it, again, it's not the white flag version. It's trusting that if I might let go of what I'm clinging to or holding fast to or struggling with, that some other way of being, way of experiencing, way of seeing something is going to present itself to me. And um, I actually interviewed my yoga teacher from my yoga teacher training class, Kilkenny Tremblay. And um, she has a podcast also called Modern Mystic. And I asked her about this because I had been doing a year of thinking about the 10 principles of um, ethical living as uh, rooted in the yoga tradition. And the very last one is Ishwana Pranidhana, which which is surrender. And as she was explaining it, And she was talking about that I'm surrendering into who and what is being best served by my current actions. And so if I'm letting go of something, I'm not letting go of it because I'm losing or being defeated, but I am releasing this thing so that I can choose something. I I can choose who and what can be best served here. And when we think about when we're really struggling and we're holding on to that struggle, and I put those questions to the test, am I being well-served by holding on to my resentment, to my anger, to tr- banging my head against the brick wall that doesn't seem to be able to come down? Am I being well-served by that? Are the people around me who are feeling the impact of all of that anger or resentment and frustration being well-served? Is my health being well-served? I come up to the answers of being no. And so in that moment, I'm surrendering this so that I might open to another possibility of being in this experience. I'm allowing something else to be revealed to me. I love that. Um, it's it's interesting because I have uh, a much. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Your description is so um, uh, in it. It feels like enlightened and higher and and forward thinking. And on a much more base level, for people who are in fear and reactivity, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a slightly different description. And, and I think that they're both completely true. So oftentimes I find that I'm white knuckling something that I actually have no control over. So the thing that I'm surrendering, um, I have this, this, this fantasy that I can control it if I do A, B, or C. But the truth is I'm grabbing at the wind 
rather than the sale, trying to get to where I want to go. And and so for me, when I think about surrender, when you can let go of what again, we can go back to it shouldn't be this way. She shouldn't act that way. Like this whole thing that you white knuckle, whatever it is for you right now, when you when you let go of that, number one, are you actually letting go of something that you have any control over anyway? Um, and number two, and this, I think, connects a little bit to what you were saying. When we surrender, then for me, that's when the curiosity comes in, because then I say, OK, this situation, let's say this situation just really sucks. Um, and yet. If if I let go of how I think it should be or how I think it should go, can I then be open to why it's here and how it's going to unfold and what is in it for me? So I tend to always go back to what's in it for me, because I believe that everything that comes to me is here for my healing or my growth. And so surrender, the practice of surrender is trusting that um, the basement's flooded for a reason. The, you know, I, I got into this fender bender. My, my, my child ran into a struggle that I have to have, whatever it is, that there's something in it for us. So where I feel like you, you, you took it to this place that yeah, I almost feel like you have to be more, um, more centered and um, and really have worked on that consciousness to get to to the questions you originally asked and and is there a ladder that we we go up when we're dealing with surrender? I, right, and I love that, Karen. And I think that there is a ladder. And I think the first rung on the ladder to talk about your white knuckling is to just start with. Am I being served by white knuckling? Like, I mean, I think it comes down to that. Am I being served and are the people that I care most about being served by this desire to control the thing? And at that very level, I'm not surrendering as you, you know, we talked about surrendering the fight. I'm surrendering my struggle in exchange for a place of love or ease, you know, where I can just feel a little more easeful for myself. So I'm, my surrendering this is to claim something else. And I think maybe that makes it feel more satisfying. I'm letting go of this so I can claim something that is actually more important to me. And, and we could look at, let's say you're fighting, let's say you're in court and you're fighting for custody, or I just interviewed a former client who was dealing with parental alienation. I do think that it's important for us to say that <clears throat> there's a very big difference between effort and surrender. The, the mm -hmm. idea is that you put in all of the effort, you do all of the research, you pull out all of the stops, you contact everyone you can contact, you, you do everything that you can do, you be everything that you can be. And then you're done. You're only in 12 step program. The, the, the slogan is you're responsible for your effort, not the outcome. When we're hanging our hat on, and then I'll have 50% custody and then I'll have X amount of dollars and then my life will be better in this way. That outcome is what I believe we we white knuckle and what we're looking at surrendering, not everything that we're capable of doing 
to, and you talked about this offline, advocate for and, and move toward what we desire without white knuckling that outcome. Absolutely. And yes, we were talking offline because I was, you know, sharing with you that there've been, there's been a situation in my personal life that has required considerable amounts of effort. And, you know, I will say, right, it brought stress into the household, right? It brought stress into the household because of this happening. And so one of the things that I would every couple of days try to come back and ask myself is what is the relationship between the effort and the advocacy and surrender? And, you know, I would ask myself this question regularly because in the absence of that question, we become consumed by the thing. Some things are just going to be there. Custody, you know, battles and custody things can take a long time. You could be in this for months or sometimes years. And in the course of that, if we stay in incredibly high levels of stress and of clinging and of white knuckling, and we never give our nervous systems or ourselves a release from it, then we're literally become consumed. So how do we maintain the effort and the advocacy while also being in the state of surrender is a question I will say I've personally been asking myself for the last couple of weeks as we've been in the high intensity of this. And the answers that I have found for myself is, you know, almost like, and I understand people are going to say compartmentalizing is easier for some people, but I've completed the efforts that I can complete for now. Let me close the door for this period of time so that I can be in relationship and let me surrender. Let me offer up to the universe, to God, to just the way that whatever energies are out there in the world, that my efforts are conveying my most deepest desires and my deepest sense of justice and right. And now let me go be those things in the rest of my life and then come back to the efforting. And it doesn't work like a charm all the time. I mean, I always say that this is hard work. It didn't work for me every day. But the practice that we talked about earlier in this episode was to keep asking that question. And in the end, it was almost the only way to maintain my sanity because it at least brought me to the recognition that I didn't have to hold on to everything in every single moment. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is, you know, (laughs) knocking on 60 and I'm like, okay, there is nothing linear in life just because I'm at point A and I want to get to point B. Uh, doesn't mean it's going to be a straight line. It might be a straight line one one out of every 10 times, but life is a zig and a zag. And certainly when you're going through the trans any transition and certainly the transition of divorce, uh, going from where you are to where you want to be uh, is is rarely linear. And so in the practice of curiosity and surrender, uh, we can advocate for what we want and then um, if you're still in court, the court may say, well, no, I'm not going to do this. We're going to rule this way or you have to negotiate something less. And so, again, I love the where am I? It's like that doesn't you haven't gotten to point B yet. So so what's in this next zig for you? What's in that decision that wasn't the one that you wanted? Does it mean it's a final decision? Like there's so much that when we um dislodge ourselves from from needing to be in control from white knuckling the outcome we want and and we keep coming at every circumstance 
with curiosity and surrender, it it allows it has. I will speak for myself that those two practices together have allowed me to be so much more fluid as I navigate the zigs and zags instead of crashing into walls and blowing up and, you know, which is, I think, what I used to be like. Um, and, And you had mentioned earlier ease. And it's like, I believe that most of us want to live our lives in Uh, peace and joy, right? Compassion, peace, and joy. Like what a beautiful place to live. And how do you get there when life is life? It's just going to keep throwing you monkey wrenches. You know, the good comes to an end, the bad comes to an end. It's so fluid. It's learning to be fluid and the practices of curiosity and surrender. And I could throw a couple more in, but for today, those two practices really invite us into um, flowing with the flow of life. I want to offer this one metaphor that has been really helpful to me to kind of bring a visual to what you're saying. And I think what we're talking about here and maybe is really concrete that people can hold on to. And I certainly do in moments where I feel like I'm struggling or pushing really hard. Because one of the things that I think is also part of this, you talked about the zig and the zag, is that part of this world is also allowing for, I like to think of the mysterious and the miracles. Like I I wear a mantra band that says expect miracles. And the miracle is really just the what I never saw coming. And I can't tell you how many times. But miracles, I have a belief, arrive when we let go and we create a little space. Like it's almost like the trapeze artist that has to let go of one bar, trust, you know, trust in the physics, trust in their capabilities before they grab, because there's a moment of suspension before they grab the other bar. And so, you know, there is a willingness to trust in the mysterious and in the miracles of, and I find holding on to that is really helpful. But what the image that I sort of, come down to that's really concrete for me as I picture myself, you know, I'm driving a car and I'm trying to control I'm behind the wheels. You know, I'm controlling the gas. I'm controlling the brake. I'm controlling all the signals. I'm controlling the radio station and I'm doing my job and I'm driving along. And at some point the road is just becoming really hard. This road is closed and there's construction over here. And there's all these things, the metaphor for our life of all these things, not going our way. And we feel stuck. And that's when I say, I kind of look in the passenger seat and I say, okay, God, we've been traveling this journey together. I've been doing the best I can behind the wheel, but I also realize maybe I'm even working too hard and not leaving enough space for miracles. So I'm going to move over to the passenger seat. I'm going to let you take the wheel and let's see what happens. Because I realize that when I'm white knuckling and I'm struggling, when I push and push and push and push from a place of struggle and I become more intense and more emotional, it's when things blow up more likely. When I can recognize my, I've done my efforting, my efforting produced good results, okay results, and now they stop producing results. It's time to release this, to surrender this to some other power. And I shift over, I get in the passenger seat and I say, God, you got the wheel. And I'm just going to ride this for a little bit and see what you can do, what you do with it. I love that. I love that. You know, back in uh, 2010, I started my business, Journey Beyond Divorce, and a uh, single mom, young kids, 
uh, failure wasn't an option was probably my biggest driving force. And I came up with a two-year transition plan to go from, I was selling commercial printing um, to what I was doing. And I, I tell people God had a four-year plan and it was like, I had like these two big steps or, and, and, and there were all of these baby steps that were built in and, it was the beginning of my practice of surrender because there were many times where I was like, no, it's not supposed to go this way. Yes, it is. That's why it's going this way because it's supposed to go this way. And, and that was a really positive surrender where it took twice as long and yet it, it offered so many gifts. And had I been so single-minded and focused on my way I think I would have lost so much. I know I would have lost so many of, of the lessons and the connections and um, the time and space that was offered to me in this, in this larger transition. And so I, I read a book this year um, that I want to mention before we begin to wrap up. It's called The Surrender Experiment. It's by uh, Michael Singer, who also wrote... The Untethered Soul, which if you've listened to me, you know that that's one of my favorite books to suggest. The Surrender Experiment is a story of this man's life. He spent 50 years uh, and in his 20s decided, I'm going to surrender to everything that is presented to me, every opportunity, every crisis, whatever it is. And so he, he talks through the story of his life and it's fascinating and it's so expansive and it's so encouraging and it's a very easy read. And, uh, and he talks about how it's happening anyway. And our monkey mind goes, no, 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 this is all wrong. I have to make a left-hand turn. I have to do I'm you turning right now. And, and, and the whole book talks about how, well, what if you didn't U-turn? What if you just said yes? And, uh, and it's an interesting thing as you are entering this new chapter of life after divorce to consider whatever is before you, whether it's a job, a relationship, a home, a circumstance, a personality. What if you just say yes and see what happens? Beautiful, beautiful, this leaning in. And so we can almost think of one aspect or quality of surrender, surrender is leaning in even to something that feels like it's scary or doesn't look like the right path, but when it's presenting it's yourself, what would, what might happen if we could just lean in a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as we begin to wrap up, do you have, um, any last, uh, tips, practices, um, words of wisdom for our listeners? I think what I want to just share is, you know, one last story here that maybe underscores both the importance of the surrender, the curiosity, and the creating space for this pause and mindfulness that you've been talking about. And we say that we want our lives to be more easeful. And yet we might get curious about does the way I behave, does the way I show up, does the way I approach situations match an experience and energy of ease or does it match 
and experience an energy of something else because energy attracts like energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so this one story is I had just separated from my husband and he had moved out and bought another house. And I was in the house with my kids for another year before I was going to have to sell it. Well, the exact same time that we did all this and I had initiated it. And I also, the job and everything I was working for, I'd been doing really well as a consultant, literally my income was, I saw the cliff, like the edge of the cliff coming and it was about to fall over. So here I was going to be single mom in a house by myself with like no income. (laughs) And I was so, it had been such a traumatic kind of year about things that I hadn't put a lot of energy into the funnel because there was so much else to take care of. And, you know, I had a lot of nervousness about money. That's been part of my my past too. And I started to just put energy into things and how I might build things, working really hard though on not allowing myself to be nervous about them. That could I insert into even this most difficult situation, any moments of ease, if I wanted things to happen with ease? And could I surrender this, that I will put forth the effort, but I will not let myself be consumed by the, you know, by the anxiety of it. And as you were talking about the zigs and zags, it was one of these moments where, okay, just as I was in this thing, this family economic windfall just out that nothing that I ever knew of just kind of opened up and suddenly landed itself in my lap at the exact moment that I was sitting here looking at my income having gone from like, you know, one of the highest it's been to almost zero and thinking to myself, like, how in the world did that just happen at this right moment? And I'm a believer. And maybe because I just choose to believe it was because I was putting in the effort without the stress of energy, but maintaining a sense that I will do the work I need to do. And I will let the universe, which I believe is on my side and generally wants us to, you know, be successful and happy in the world will do its part too. And I created enough space in my life for that to happen. And it wasn't something I ever could have put effort toward happening because I never even saw it out there. Right. I never even knew it was there. And that windfall was enough to carry me through that transition until I could get back on my feet. If I had efforted, I might have efforted a lot of things that wouldn't have produced results. So it's very hard when we feel stressed and worried about whether it's money, relationships and things like that to step back. We are acculturated to believe we are supposed to put 9000 percent energy all of the time into something and to push and push and push or to make something happen. And I would like to just invite people to possibly consider, make space for the curiosity, make space for some surrender, make space for some pause, and perhaps open up to a relationship with the world where you might be able to get some support from places you haven't even imagined before. Beautiful. That's a beautiful thing for us to end on, too. Uh, I hope if you're listening that you're walking away from today's conversation with a new perspective and uh, on curiosity and surrender and um, and maybe some excitement about beginning to create your own practice. As you enter your uh, life after divorce, it will serve you oh so well. Adina, before we say goodbye, um, how can our listeners find you? And if you have something um, that they could uh, 
a gift for them to tell us about that as well. Sure. So um, certainly they can find me. I am our website is courage to be curious.com. Our podcast, which is also a weekly podcast where every single week we're asking powerful questions is Courage to be Curious with Adina Tovell on podcast, um, on any podcast app that you have. And that's our handle, Courage to be Curious, whether it's on Instagram or face and on Facebook and things like that. I also want to mention, because Karen, you and I talked about the practice of asking questions and journaling with questions. And in my experience of training with companies and working with individuals is that that's not something that it comes very naturally or easily to many people, which is why one of the things we developed were decks of cards that are specifically designed to support that personal inquiry. And so we have three decks of cards, live, lead, and love with the courage to be curious Based on our conversation today, the live and the love decks, the love deck actually has 26 questions to cultivate a sense of self-love and then 26 questions related to how can I care well for others that are important to me in my life. And then that live deck of how do I live with intention? And so if you are curious at all or engaged with the notion of journaling with um, questions, you don't have to work at coming up with them. The decks are right there. They're available on the Courage to be Curious website. And then, Karen, I also want to just offer to your listeners this ebook, um, Five Game Changing Questions and How They Can Transform Your Life. And these were questions that were pertinent to me just as I was on this other side of divorce. That is where this ebook was born out of. And so I think that it includes a, the story as well as a beautiful set of five questions that people can get started with in doing that work. And um, we have a link to that in our Instagram and on our website. And then I will also send that to you for the show notes so you can give people a direct link. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. So if you enjoyed today's conversation and you're curious about Adina's services, please reach out, check out definitely her podcast, Courage to be Curious, her website, and um, and you'll get a lot more resources and information there. And Adina, thank you so much for joining us today and for this great conversation. Well, thank you, Karen. I mean, both for having me here and for being such a longstanding voice in the community of divorce, really helping to guide people on that journey filled with twists and turns and zigs and zags and being this place where people can really get anchored and grounded and expanded to be able to travel this difficult journey, this, this piece of the journey, which can feel difficult. So thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. And stay tuned. We'll be back again with another episode of Life After Divorce real soon. Talk to you then. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.